You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It's another game week here at Penn State, and it's a pivotal one for James Franklin and these Nittany Lions now ranked number 16 in the AP Top 25 poll following a 41-17 loss out of Michigan. We spent a lot of time on our first episode of this week on Monday, breaking down the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'd normally say, but it was a lot of ugly coming out of that matchup from Michigan. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen joined me to break that down. We had our post-game podcast. Daniel Gallen joined me uh, from Michigan Stadium on Saturday evening. So uh, a lot on Michigan. This is going to be kind of turning that page, looking ahead to Minnesota a little bit, and certainly focusing in on the James Franklin press conference that we just got out of. We're always fresh out of this weekly press conference on uh, Tuesday, so we'll address some things here in just a moment with Daniel Gallen. Later on in the show, Tyler Calvaruzzo, our resident recruiting expert at Lions247.com, will join us to break down and preview what figures to be a very prominent whiteout recruiting weekend. It's always a big deal in town. Uh, some of the, I guess, the, the wind uh, was taken out of the sails of this matchup from a national perspective with Minnesota starting off 0-2 in October and, and Penn State dropping its most recent matchup. But regardless, this is still going to be a huge, huge weekend for Penn State's recruiting efforts. We'll talk about that and a few more things, including midseason reports on some Penn State prospects who are doing really well. Tyler Calvaruzzo coming your way in just a bit. His coverage all over the site at lines247.com, including an early look and a growing look at the visitors list for this weekend. But right now, let's get into the James Franklin press conference and our feedback from that with Daniel Gallen, uh, lines247.com. And Daniel, you and I and, and Mark Brennan each got to ask a question during the course of what a lot of people were saying is maybe the shortest game week press conference of James Franklin's tenure. I, I didn't have the stopwatch on me. I know it was under a half hour. Um, that, that's a rarity in these situations. Um, but we did get some answers on some subjects that we had questions about. And we'll start with the quarterback spot. We don't really know where Sean Clifford is from a health standpoint. James Franklin says they haven't practiced yet. He can't discuss that at this stage. The only way he's going to discuss uh, the availability of a starting quarterback in terms of an injury is if he is out for the season. That's not the case. But before he closed the book on that initial answer to, to Sean Clifford's status, he also said that the plan has not changed at quarterback, which struck me as a very meaningful statement on a week like this. Definitely. I, I think we all knew that the quarterback was going to be a, a topic of conversation today, um, especially given how Clifford played on Saturday and kind of the, you know, the potential uh, that has kind of loomed over uh, this year from Drew Aller all season long. Um, but yeah, as James Franklin said, the the plan hasn't changed. Um, I viewed that as if Sean Clifford is healthy, he'll be the starter. He'll be the first one uh, out there um, on Saturday in the whiteout. Obviously tomorrow night we have our little window into practice availability um, and that'll 
you know, be our only look this week. That'll be our opportunity uh, to see if Sean Clifford is out there um, to maybe take the temperature a little bit more. But as James Franklin said, they haven't practiced yet this week. It's still early. Um, decisions like that haven't been made yet. Um, so it was status quo, uh, which, you know, I think some people were maybe hoping to, to hear something different um, at this point in the week. But I think that given what we know about how James Franklin has handled this before, this was kind of the, the spot we were expecting to be in. So, you know, status quo right now, um, as things move forward, uh, we'll see if that changes. I think something you said there, if healthy, and, and I guess what does healthy mean? The eye of the beholder. We, we've seen Penn State in the past play Sean Clifford when he certainly didn't seem functional to the point he needed to be for that offense to succeed. The game that comes to mind certainly was out of the bye week last year against Illinois. He was very much physically impeded. I don't think it was really a, a surprise to anyone considering what happened to him two weeks earlier against Iowa, but they didn't have that backup plan last year. And we keep talking about the difference in that quarterback room. Um, I, I go back to Trace McSorley. There were occasions when he clearly was not up to the task of playing, but he's a guy who wanted to play and Sean Clifford is in the same mode of wanting to play. So James Franklin, the medical staff, the coaching staff, I'm very curious to see how they juggle some of these factors over the course of the week. And, um, Sean Clifford, the regression has been notable here in, in October, and that's an offensive regression. That's the QB1 regression. You look at what they accomplished during a 4-0 start in September, Daniel. Uh, Sean Clifford had 890 passing yards. He had a 64% completion percentage, uh, 12 total touchdowns in those four games, just one interception. Two games here in October, and they bookended a bye week, let's remember. He's completing 44% of his passes, 260 total passing yards, uh, one touchdown and one interception. Um, so I think it's very fair to wonder whether a, a change could trigger a, uh, a, a maybe a, a positive pivot on offense. Um, but it's also fair to wonder, is this offense in a place where, uh, whether it's Drew Aller, whether it's Sean Clifford, is it have the the necessary components right now and the right leader in Mike Yersich where they have the ability to explode and take off here in the next six games? That's definitely a, a good question. Uh, we saw when, when Aller came in against Michigan, obviously the game was close to being out of hand at that point. It was, it was a three-score game, but Aller came in, moved the ball a little bit, but it's two turnovers on downs. He completed five of ten passes. Uh, there wasn't necessarily a, a spark that kind of suggested okay, there's there's a new life here. Um, there's there's something that could could lead a comeback. Part of that was just Daniel. The, Daniel, he he went onto a field that was lacking any kind of spark from anywhere <laughs> on the Penn State supporting cast. It's really I know we want to uh, you know parse through everything Drew Aller does, but the sharks were circling. The blood was well mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, spread across the water, and it was thirty four to seventeen before he took his first step. I'm not saying the ten guys around him on offense were giving up by any means, but it, it's a lot to ask if you're looking for a spark in a situation like that. Oh, I mean, Michigan teed off on him. Uh, we saw the, that pass rush get after him. I think he got sacked once, and I think another time he got hit um, as he was throwing an incompletion. So, I mean, in that situation, it's one of those things where you step into it. It would be hard for, for anybody to succeed um, in, in that situation. Um, and it's kind of like what we talked about a little bit on Monday where you want to see Aller in kind of a, a meaningful situation and if, to find out whether or not he can truly raise the ceiling of this offense because we haven't seen him play a meaningful rep since the season opener um, at Purdue, and he helped Penn State tread water in what could have been a, a pretty dicey situation with Sean Clifford going out. 
Um, but since then, it's all been second half reps. Um, you know, I think maybe the Ohio game is pretty much the the only time where he got in and there was still kind of game flow um, going on. I mean, the Auburn and the Auburn and Central Michigan games were, were pretty much decided um, when he was in there. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see on, on Saturday. Um, I think that this offense has to get it figured out this week against Minnesota because Ohio State isn't really that that's not really the time to experiment. That's not really the, the time to, you know, be like, OK, we're you know, let, let's see if this will work. Let's see if this will work. I think that you have to go in to that game knowing what you have and, and going in with a, a really distinct plan. And I think that this is the weekend where you kind of have to figure out, um, you know, what are we doing that is going to work? Where can we find success? Um, what is going to be this offensive identity, I guess, um, for the rest of the way? So it's a big week. It's a huge weekend, and it's a big week not just for the quarterback situation, but for Mike Yersich. This is his 20th game as the offensive coordinator with these Nittany Lions. It will be the 16th game in which he will coach against a Power 5 opponent with Penn State. And, and we talked a lot about Mike Yersich early in the week on, on our first podcast Monday, and we'll continue to do that later in the week because we are going to get Mike Yersich uh, on Thursday. This will be our first time having a media session with the offensive coordinator for Penn State since the first week of August. So clearly we have some catching up to do uh, with the play caller at Penn State. When it comes to Mike Yersich, though, again, I mentioned this on Monday, a lot of people are still clinging to this aspect of this is a long-term investment. Um, and, and and a big part of that is the dangling carrot of Drew Aller that, 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 that is intertwined with everything that Mike Yersich has brought to this program. And it's a very important part of the process. But as we try to see Penn State avoid a potential two-game losing streak going against Ohio State, here's what we have in front of us. He's coached 19 games at this point. And in those 15 games I mentioned against Power 5 opponents, they have failed to produce at least 21 points in seven of them. That's about a 50% clip, Daniel, of where 21 points is going on the scoreboard for your team. I know there's a lot that goes into coaching offensive football, the schematics. You can dive as deeply as you want to in these film studies, but the end game is putting points on the board, and it's been pretty jarring uh, to see how inconsistent that has been for the Denton Lions. You go back to the, a larger sample size that spans three different offensive coordinators and Kirk Shiraka, who we'll see come back to town this Saturday with Minnesota, Ricky Ronnie, and, and Joe Moorhead. 2017 through 2020, a four-game sample size, they played 38 Power 5 opponents. Seven times they did not reach 21 points. So same total here for Mike Yersich in a 15-game stretch. And by the way, Sean Clifford, it tells you how long he's been around, Daniel. He started 17 of those games in that aforementioned span that I was talking about. So uh, this will be start 40 for Clifford, and this will be officially his 20th start with Mike Yersich. I know we try to, to attach Sean Clifford to everything that, that Mike Yersich does, but to me, you're the quarterback coach. Number one, it's your job to develop the position, to, to, to find progression there, especially over the course of a season, game to game, situation by situation. But it's also your job to decide who is going to play quarterback for you. So anyone who feels like there's some kind of albatross around Mike Yersich's neck because he's got this quarterback, well, he took this job on. He knew who the quarterback was here. He had some early conversations. He knew Will Levis was a part of that conversation. Sean Clifford has been the guy here for a while. That's no surprise to Mike Yersich. You didn't just attach number 14 to him going into this season. And he's made the decision. I know James Franklin here is the looming figure, and, and you got to wonder – how much of that is factoring into the fact that Sean Clifford 
will be the starting quarterback moving forward versus if Mike Yersich had 100% autonomy over that decision. But regardless of what it is, points got to start piling up. And whether it's this same old QB1 or this fresh, new, exciting one, they got to find solutions because you can't just say, well, give it time. It's Sean Clifford's year. We got to run, we got to, you know, take, you know, run it to the end. That's just not a suitable excuse when you've got a locker room that has been sold on their ability to go chase big 10 championships. You can't tell them, Hey, we may have a lot of components. We don't have it at quarterback, but he deserves to be on the field and we got to go with it. That uh, stat with the, the 21 points is pretty jarring and it seems almost hard to do that. Um, the way that modern college football is played uh, in terms of pace, tempo, um, and, and kind of the, the numbers that that players put up, especially in past Mike Yersich offenses uh, coming from Oklahoma State, success at Ohio State. Um, you know, I think that this is not really what we were expecting to see um, when when Yersich took over. And it obviously does start at quarterback. Um, obviously, Yersich gets attached to Drew Aller a lot, but He's like, like you said, he's had the two years with Sean Clifford. He's known that this is the quarterback. He's also the quarterback's coach. Um, I think that you have to figure out what you can do. Uh, you, you have to know what you can do with that. Even if there are things behind the, behind the scenes in terms of what James Franklin wants um, in terms of, of the quarterback spot, uh, you know, you got to scheme to your, your players strengths. That's always the, the thing that it comes back to is that this is what you're working with. So the Penn State offense has just been pretty pretty lackluster. I think that the the lack of explosive plays came up as a as a talking point again uh, today. That's something that I think has really stood out to me over the course of the the two years that we've watched this team under Yersich is that it doesn't outside of you know Jahan Dotson and a little bit of Nick Singleton earlier this year, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of electricity around these offenses in terms of game-breaking potential, um, knowing that things will be schemed up so that someone will be be open downfield. Um, and like we've said so many times, that's what you need to do to beat some of these uh, top teams like a Michigan, like an Ohio State. So you have to be able to, to have game-breakers and they have to make plays. So I think that this Minnesota game, um, James Franklin kept bringing up parallels to 2016, uh, in terms of losing to Michigan and then having a big game against Minnesota soon after that, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily draw the, put the same kind of emphasis in that given the, the situations in terms of expectations for, for those programs and, and whatnot. But you do look at this Minnesota game and um, if things don't go well, it just is going to keep these questions that we've raised. It's just going to keep getting more and more intense. This spotlight is going to get, you know, the glare on them is just going to be more and more um, as we go on. I can certainly understand some of the parallels that James was trying to make with the 2016 team. And he said he talked to Mike Kosicki on the phone. And there's a lot of young, talented playmakers. And, and there's a lot of aspects of this program that if you set to set a match to it, you could, you could be go for launch right now. And, and you could be a championship caliber team in that capacity. But across the board, you keep coming back to the quarterback and there were a lot of unknown variables with that 2016 team, including the QB play and what you were going to get out of Trace McSorley and McSorley evolved and became a playmaker that the nation needed to note over the course of that season. Again, is Sean Clifford going to become something that we haven't seen through 39 starts? I think it's a very hard case to make right now. At the same time as Drew Aller, uh, the risks that come with the immediate potential are going to maybe 
dog you a little bit and, and, and cost you to lose a game. That also comes as an inherent risk, but it's one that it feels like you're taking a risk either way at this point, either sticking with Sean Clifford, that feels risky too. Right. And, and so I think we'll get, we'll see what happens here. If Sean Clifford's health is an issue, we'll learn more about that when we get this look out on Wednesday at practice, then maybe that takes the decision out of James Franklin's hand. And then who knows what happens Saturday and we'll see what happens moving forward. But if Sean Clifford is somewhere between 75 to less than 100%, or perhaps a little bit lower than 75%, then that is something that James Franklin cannot get, cannot afford to miss on. I think I don't think you can send out uh, a, a Sean Clip, a Sean Clifford who's hobbled, impeded, and expect to compete uh, and put away Minnesota. Uh, to me, that's just that's a bit of a stretch right now uh, for this team. So we'll learn a lot about it. And the offense again across the board. I asked James Franklin. Uh, does he feel like Mike Yersich through 19 games of working together has been able to utilize and adjust his game plan based on personnel strengths and weaknesses? And Franklin said that he felt like the tight end usage implied that he felt like some of the, the games with running back have implied that, but you know, just sorting through what we saw last week, it was more of some of those old, not old, but, but really redundant issues that we saw surface over the course of 2021, where running backs, the usage was sporadic, and now you've got guys who, who can maybe do a little bit more with the football. And when you're putting them away for, for two quarters at a time, part of that is because your defense is being dominated. But part of that is because of the way you're calling an offensive game plan. Brenton Strange uh, getting one reception on three targets. The entire tar tight end room, as Mark Brennan passed us, a uh, stat, six targets, three catches, 36 yards in the last two games. So right now things are trending back towards the tight ends not being used enough. I think Theo Johnson has three targets this season, two catches for 19 yards. He has started two games, the last two games. He has played in 25 or more snaps in four straight games. We have heard from Mike Yersich and James Franklin that this is one of the most talented, if not the most talented, tight end rooms in the country. Kudos to Brenton Strange for what he has accomplished, especially through the month of September. But as Franklin said, it's time for big boy football. We're seeing that position group fade away from the spotlight, and we're not seeing another position group step up to kind of supplement that situation. And that is what is most concerning and at the center of all, center of it all is this conundrum at quarterback and the decision that your CEO and James Franklin and your play caller and Mike Yersich have to collaborate on, and they can't afford to get this one wrong, or they could see this season start to spiral. It, it feels really similar to how it felt down the stretch last year when you talk about the the running game for whatever reason, whether obviously in the Michigan game they just weren't on the field, so they didn't have chances. Last year, it was the ineffectiveness, uh, the tight ends kind of disappearing, um, the, the quarterback play being uneven. Uh, it, it feels like things have kind of accelerated this year. Maybe that's because we kind of know what we're looking at and we've in a way we, we've seen it before um, with the way that this offense is playing. But the big variable is that you have that other option at quarterback. Um, I think after the Iowa game and Sean Clifford is kind of said this James Franklin has kind of come out and said this too is that Taquan Roberson wasn't an adequate backup that he wasn't someone that especially after the Iowa game that they felt like they could turn to um in a big spot and then we did see a little bit of, of Christian Veyer uh later in the year um of course that was against Rutgers that was after they moved him up uh, in the pecking order um a little bit to get him more reps so if he comes in earlier in the year, who knows how it looks different, but we've already seen Drew Aller. Uh, we've already seen him come in in a road environment 
um, and be competent. We've seen um, him come in against Ohio and really lead an offense that that was moving um, and able to do some things. That's the biggest change from last year is that there is this option. Uh, James Franklin has said that Sean Clifford has has earned his way onto the field, which I think that that's a fair way to put it if you're James Franklin. Um, but that doesn't account for the health variable. And I think that that will kind of show us a lot about the approach to, the, to this year, that if Penn State is if Penn State puts a, a Sean Clifford out there who isn't 100 um, percent, then I think that we're it kind of shows um you know, a real, I guess, stubbornness in terms of the way that, that the program is being run. Um, because we've seen what a healthy Sean Clifford can do. And the ceiling there is kind of isn't necessarily the highest. Um, and then when Sean Clifford isn't healthy, I think last year showed that it's a huge detriment to what you're trying to do. So I think that they really need to look, um, you know, look at the quarterback spot. Um, I think that the health is the is the big variable. Um, and how they handle that, where Sean Clifford is, um, and if they're if they're in a spot where they know that that Clifford isn't going to be able to do what they need him to do um, with not at a hundred percent, then I think that you have to look really long and really hard at at what's best for this offense, what's best for this team. We get to see this team practice for about 15, 20 minutes a week, and usually the quarterbacks are not going up against 11 defenders. We may see them throw the ball against one defender. Um, so you have to wonder, and I think it's yeah, very fair. A lot of fans out there, are the probably the biggest frustration is wondering, is James Franklin, how is he walking that line between seniority and meritocracy in that quarterback room? I mean, that's, you know, what are they seeing week to week? They really stress in all these competitions, the collective data week to week. We know Drew Aller made a major move in preseason camp. I don't know if you've noticed, but we haven't heard a ton about what he's done on the practice field since then. We've heard a little bit about you know, his poise, his communication ability, uh, taking the next step, but we're not going to get a lot of Drew's making a ton of plays on the practice field because that's not what you say when that guy's not your starting quarterback. So we haven't heard a lot of that, and I'm curious, what does it look like day to day? Has, has he hit some kind of plateau as a passer, as a college quarterback on the practice field? Or are teammates and members of this coaching staff starting to see that number 15 may give them a better chance to win than number 14, or at least that it may be worth exploring that opportunity come Saturday instead of reviewing it on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. That is the big question right now, and uh, that's kind of where the gray area is in, in this whole ordeal. And James Franklin was asked straight up, Daniel, we all heard it, um, how does he respond to the, to the growing number of fans and uh, members of the media who are calling for Drew Aller to be QB1 for Penn State? And, Here's his exact quote. He said, quote, I think, number one, that's the wrong message. That's the wrong signal. And Sean has earned the right to be on the field. That doesn't mean that Drew hasn't done some good things. And we'd love to get him an opportunity and continue to grow him and continue to develop him for his future. So, again, that sounds like status quo from what we've seen. Drew Aller has officially burned his red shirt with five games in. He's 17 of 29 with 200 passing yards, two touchdowns no turnovers and we just spent much longer than I thought we would on this subject, but it's one that warrants the spotlight because when you're talking about the future of your program and the, the health of your current status, so much of that has to do with the guy taking those snaps. And right now there is a conversation to be had and it's one that we figured would be brewing this time of year and coming off of a loss like that. 
you know, you kind of rip the bandaid off on this conversation and jump right into it as a lot of us have this week. Daniel, you've been covering a lot on the defensive side of things as they need to rebound there in a big way. 418 rushing yards surrendered on uh, at and at Michigan on Saturday. Um, I thought what stood out from Nick Tarburton, and, and I know you're going to write on this, is that they went defensive wide on Sunday when they watched this film. They didn't break up into positional units. He said that was different than the normal approach, and I think that sends a message from Manny Diaz. Certainly, and, and James Franklin added uh, this afternoon that, that he was in there too uh, while they were watching it. So, um, you know, you wonder what was said <laughs> in, in there and, and what, the, what the tone of, of that sort of meeting, meeting is like. Um, but Nick Tarburton said that it was that it was good that um, you know that he came out of it feeling better about about where they were. Um, a lot of talk about execution. Um, he talked about the lack of gap accountability. They weren't gap sound. Uh, this afternoon, James Franklin talked about uh, sort of alluding to guys trying to do too much, um, whereas guys chasing plays as opposed to you know if you if you do your job, uh, there's a good chance you'll just be in a position to make a play um, instead of trying to force it. So I think that Penn state knows that they really have to, to rebound this week. Uh, James Franklin said that it's a copycat league. Um, and even before you get to that, uh, Minnesota likes to run the ball uh, with, with Mo Ibrahim. Um, they're going to pound it. They have a, a pretty big offensive line. Um, I, I like Nick Tarburton's scouting report of the, of the Minnesota O-line, which was big physical human beings. Um, which sounds about right. Uh, John Michael Schmitz uh, in the middle is a you know, All-American candidate, um, mid-season All-American from the AP. Um, so it, the good thing for the Penn State defense is that if you're on that defense, you have the chance to, to immediately rebound, to immediately make a statement and show that last week at Michigan was an anomaly, that that was the outlier, um, and that's not going to be the norm. Um, at the same time, though, that's not going to be easy. Uh, Mo Ibrahim is rushed for at least 100 yards in the last 14 games that he's played in. They're going to give him the ball. Um, they're going to try to, you know, let him be the engine to the offense. And especially if Tanner Morgan can't go, um, then you're going to see even more on the ground. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this Penn State defense looks different um, against Minnesota than they did against Michigan. But I think they understand that they have the opportunity to, uh, you know, immediately rebound um, immediately show that they're a little bit different. Um, but at the same time, um, if things don't go well, I think we'll know a lot more um, about about this defense and, and its weaknesses going into a, a big game against uh, oh, Ohio State. Naturally, of course, on the week that everyone is laser focused on the offensive coordinator and what he's going to do. And if he's going to take the next step at Penn State, he's got Kirk Shiraka opposite of him, who was his predecessor here with the Nittany Lions. So this is shaping up uh, to be a bit dicey if things go awry for Penn State from that perspective. But, of course, they'll have a chance to, to get back on track. Defense is going to be so big there. And Manny Diaz, this is his first opportunity to address the team for a week coming off of a performance like this. I know he had a lot of weeks, unfortunately, for him with Miami where he had to, to rally them or try to get them to, to bounce back from a difficult matchup. But it's been pretty much to this point building up toward a crescendo. Now they hit a bit of a rock bottom or at least a midseason rock bottom and I think what we're hearing from players is great, but this is going to be testing the metal of Manny Diaz, who told us a long time ago when he took this job, he was excited to be able to sink his teeth into being the defensive leader and really being one of those guys. And this is the moment that he's going to have to lean on that ability, a guy who's done a lot of strong work 
in this kind of a role across Power Five football before he was ever a head coach. Certainly, I, I mean, this is this is what uh, you know. You want to see the counterpunch. This is Manny Diaz's chance to get himself off the mat, get this defense up off the mat, make those adjustments, make those changes, um, and, and kind of show um, what he's capable of doing. Um, you know, is the personnel going to look any different? Is there going to be, are there going to be any new wrinkles, um, in the scheme? I think that that's what you're, that's what you're looking for, um, from Penn state going into this game. Um, we know that the thing we talked about last week is that we thought that Penn state had the opportunity to hold up a lot better, um, against these types of teams this year because of their depth. Um, and that obviously didn't bear out against Michigan. So what does that look like? Um, against Minnesota? Are the rotations shorter? Um, are there a little bit different packages, um, different combinations of personnel to get uh, you know, bigger bodies in there? Um, I am very curious to see what Diaz does because um, it does feel like that this, that this defense is at its best when it's forcing other teams to throw the ball. Um, these cornerbacks are you know, ball hawks right now in terms of pass breakups, uh, being around the ball. Um, and especially if Minnesota has to turn to a backup quarterback, if Tanner Morgan can't go, then this secondary could have the chance to feast. But if the, if it, they can't get stops up front and if they can't force Minnesota to pass, then it won't matter. Um, and that comes back to Diaz this week. Um, what kind of game plan do they have? What can they learn from last week? How can they adjust? Um, I think that, you know, the, the players make the plays and, and the players are the reason that you win. But I think this week, like you said, with Kirk Shiraka coming in, with Mike Yersich struggling, with Manny Diaz having this first opportunity to show what he looks like after a loss, um, with James Franklin and some of the big decisions that could be facing him as the CEO of this program, uh, there's a lot of subplots on the sideline this week, for sure. And it's all just part of a concerted effort to stop the bleeding before the Buckeyes come to town. Get your get yourself a reset, get yourself to 6-1, and one, and see what you can accomplish on home turf against Ohio State you got to get through this one. And like you said, there's a lot involved here and it just feels like for one singular game, there's a lot of tentacles on this one that could really impact uh, the way this season is viewed, the way that the program trajectory is viewed uh, and more. Uh, Daniel, I know that you'll have coverage at lines 247com throughout the game week. You've got your uh, players to watch on the Minnesota side up. You mentioned a few of them earlier. Uh, just to add to what you said about Tanner Morgan, uh, P.J. Flex speaking at his press conference on Monday, um, did not rule out the availability of Morgan to play this Saturday. He had to get carted off uh, after a pretty nasty head collision in Minnesota's most recent matchup. Like Sean Clifford, a six-year senior. Like Sean Clifford, he was front and center when these two teams met in Minneapolis in 2019. Uh, if he can't go, that could really change the complexion of things, but they are going to run the ball regardless. And by the way, Joey Porter Jr., you mentioned midseason All-American list. He made the cut as well. Definitely. He was Penn State's lone representative um, on the list. He's someone that came in with a lot of hype. Um, in terms of being a pro prospect, but someone that still had a lot to prove at, at the collegiate level. Um, I think that when we saw all the mock drafts uh, earlier this year, there was kind of that, that classic disconnect where it felt like pro evaluators might hold him in a little bit higher esteem than what he'd shown so far at the college level. Big part of that was his penalties. Um, feels like he's cleaned that up this year. Uh, he ranks second in the nation with 10 pass breakups, um, leads Penn State in pass breakups, and Penn State leads the nation. Um, but Joey Porter Jr. is definitely playing at a high level this year. 
Um, after Purdue really went at him early in the season, it seems like teams kind of backed off, uh, started going after Kalen King, Johnny Dixon a little bit more, and both of them have been up to the task for the most part. So um, that's good to see. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. was one of the guys that, given his potential, if he wanted to have success on this defense, he needed to be playing at a really high level. He needed to live up. He needed to manifest that potential instead of just having it be on the draft boards, you know, kind of out there in the ether in the future. And he's done that so far, and he's picked up some recognition for it. I know Nittany Lions cornerbacks coach Terry Smith is eager to produce Penn State's first first round pick at the cornerback position. They've eyed up some guys in the past that can maybe fit that bill, but it sure looks like Joey Porter Jr. is going to give give them the best opportunity to get that done. Daniel, always appreciate the insight. I'll let you get back to work. Um, one other note from our availability, Landon Tengwall, uh, kind of a, a mystery at this point. I, I would label that as questionable based on James Franklin's comments, um, saying that after that pregame injury suffered on Saturday, which led to Hunter Norzad playing the full game at the Cornell transfer. Um, they want to get a look at him in practice to see if he'll be full go against Minnesota. Not something they were ready to, to commit to one way or the other on a Tuesday. So that's another personnel uh, part of the equation on offense that we'll keep tabs on uh, going into warm-up Saturday. Daniel, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, Daniel Gowan uh, catches coverage over at lines247.com every day. A great stuff coming from him. That's where you'll find Tyler Calvaruzzo, and our recruiting coverage is well underway. I think we had our first look at the whiteout week list uh, for you guys by midweek last week. That has continued to expand into this Tuesday afternoon, and Tyler Calvaruzzo joins us right now on the Lions 24-7 podcast. How are you? I got a smile on my face, man. I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to be back. <laughs> We're, it, it's a good week to be the recruiting guy on this yeah. site because uh, people are focused elsewhere. But fortunately, on a week like this, that's where the silver lining is. Uh, Penn State's going to have to prove it on the field Saturday. But we know at the very least there will be dozens of blue chip prospects in the stands to watch this matchup. Let's start there. As we continue to get these confirmations, it's your first time covering this event. How impressed are you by what they've assembled for this matchup? Oh, man. I mean, it's a monster list, and it's only Tuesday afternoon. It's still growing. So 
Look, you know, last weekend was last weekend. It's in the books. We all know what happened. There's really no need to rehash it. You guys have done plenty of that. It hasn't deterred any of these kids from coming to campus. You know, it, it's still a loaded visitors list. And it's great to see the excitement really surrounding what's going to be a pretty special night in Happy Valley. And it always is. This is Penn State's premier recruiting atmosphere. I know Ohio State's coming in next weekend, but the whiteout is the whiteout. Nothing touches it. I've known that from afar. Now I'm getting it to see it up close, and it's pretty special, man. I'm not going to lie. And, you know, tracking all these kids down, getting all these names, it's been fun, and it's going to be fun to, you know, catch up with these kids afterwards and see what they felt about the experience to see how it hit them because – for a lot of them, they've never really experienced something like this at such a large scale. So it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're off to a great start this week. I can confirm to you after covering, at this point, about five recruiting cycles on the Penn State beat that this is a moment, this is an opportunity that sticks with prospects, sticks with their family members. They bring brother, they bring an uncle. They spend the next few years talking about it, and all of a sudden they're signed with Penn State. I, I mean, we've heard from guys that, that show up to campus as freshmen looking back to when they visited as high school freshmen, and they may have branched out majorly over the course of their high school career and gotten to other campuses. But when you have that initial whiteout experience and you keep being drawn back every single fall, it's difficult for other teams to top that. And, and so when you look at who's coming to campus and who's making this trip, how much of it is wow, this is a huge showing from the region, and how much of it is Penn State's plucking a few long-distance guys here that we got to keep tabs on? You know, I was actually just going to comment on that because I feel like we talk about the whiteout and the atmosphere and guys who, you know, come and they get to take in a few of these. Those are the regional guys. Those are the local guys. Guys like K.J. Jackson, who lives in Alabama, he, he's one who really stands out to me in terms of, you know, visitors from a distance. This isn't something they get to experience often. They can't just get in, a, you know, hop in the car, drive a half hour to Beaver Stadium, be like, "Oh, I'm at the Whiteout game." You know, for, from the prospects who are out of region, this is so much more impactful. Just because you know everything, all the hoopla surrounding the Whiteout game, everything going on surrounding the stadium pregame, just and then obviously the game day atmosphere itself. So yeah, I would say while it's still extremely impactful for the local kids and the regional kids who have grown up hearing about this and, you know, maybe experienced it before. And, hey, maybe some of these kids have, you know, gotten out there as younger and, you know, been to a Penn State whiteout game. You never know. You know, some guys, they have done that, guys like Anthony Saka. So, but for guys like KJ who don't live around and it's not really an accessible trip for them also often, it's a huge, it's a huge night for them. It's going to be a big experience. And they're all really looking forward to it from what we've been able to gather. KJ Jackson's a really impressive quarterback prospect from down in Alabama in the 2024 class. He got to campus a couple times this summer. Uh, the most recent uh, trip for him was part of the Lash Bash and, and the final camp of July. And that one made a huge impression on mom and dad, James Franklin's interactions with them. Uh, th this was the first offer for him, too. And you're talking yeah. about a guy who's in the heart of SEC country, and he's now gotten those ACC and SEC offers to consider. They'll continue to come. He's having a fantastic season there as a junior. Uh, but he is not going to forget that Mike Yersich and Penn State were the first to prevent that kind of present that kind of confidence and present that kind of tangible evidence of their interest. And an early offer is what it is, but it has obviously stuck to this point. And he's one of those quarterbacks to know when he makes a trip like this and follows through on something he told us in the summer he wanted to do, 
that says a lot about where his mind is with the Nittany Lions and where their mind is with him as a potential fit for the 2024 recruiting class. And there's a lot of work to be done there. Let's remember Cooper Cousins is the only guy. And we're starting to hit that that portion of the of the calendar now where you got to get him some company. Uh, and when I look at this at this list, uh, another name that stands out to me is coming long distance, a, a name that I'm not expecting to come off the board by any means. But Jake Warnera um, from down in Florida, he's a guy I got a chance to speak with in the summer. Uh, and, and Tyler, he came up to campus and he spent the uh, basically an hour in a completely like to the side environment with Phil Troutwine, Anthony Donka and Alex Birchmeyer. Uh, there was probably 40 other offensive linemen doing their thing with the rest of the support staff. So for one, that told me a lot about Penn State's viewpoint on him coming up to campus for a couple of days. But also he left and he felt like he was wanted. And his offer list has really grown since then. Um, I know that his recruiting ranking profile is going to grow. But this is a guy, Jake Warnera, um, coming up. I think if you send him home and, and add another successful trip to his experience, I think you're in a good spot to maybe – get an official visit on the back end. And I think that's really what you're trying to set up with some of these 2024 prospects, particularly the ones that you probably can't get on campus for the rest of this fall. And, and maybe that would be a hassle to get them on campus for one of those junior days in the middle of the winter. You're eyeing up next spring and you're trying to yeah. say, hey, you had a great time at the whiteout. Come up and 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 spend 72 hours here, 48 hours here. And let's be really intimate with it instead of sharing it with 110,000 people. Let's just focus on you, your family and our coaching staff. It's kind of like what we just said about KJ Jackson, right? When a kid says in the summer that he wants to come back for the whiteout game, that's just after a camp experience. We're talking about one camp experience. And he's sitting there and saying, oh, yeah, I want to come back for this, 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 and that. And then he follows through on it. It speaks to the level of interest that he has in the program. And likewise, when he's working on the side with the coaching staff, and not just the coaching staff, I, I could argue the commits, working on the side with the commits is even more important. Guys like Birchmeyer, Donka, putting the work with them, guys who are going to be at Penn State and your potential future teammates, if you choose to become a Nittany Lion, that's arguably even more impactful with working with any coach on that day. So, yeah, he he's wanted. There's really no doubt about it. And as long as all goes well with him this weekend, I, I think Penn State's – there's never certainties in recruiting, but I, I, I don't really see a scenario where they don't get an official if everything goes well this weekend. And we're talking about a pretty high-level prospect here down in Florida. You know, he's, he's kind of under the radar just given that the state is so deep and so right. talented. But this is a high three-star prospect with a chance to become a four if he you know keeps doing what he's doing in terms of his development. So the staff got really liked what it saw out of him when he camped. And there's been a high level of interest both ways ever since. So we're going to see what happens with him this weekend. One of many we'll have a very close eye on because this weekend's not just about, you know, making one impression. It's about making that impression, building on it, and then getting these guys back afterwards. Like you, like you, like you laid out with the importance of, you know, getting these guys back on campus afterwards and a successful whiteout visit is something you could always sell. So that, that's going to want to, that's what they're going to be trying to accomplish this weekend for sure with Jake and many others. Kind of an underrated dynamic of this of this whole event with the whiteout. People don't really, I think, keep in perspective is the coaching staff is getting off the bus, coming in with the into the stadium. It, it, it's already an insane atmosphere. The recruits are already there. They're with your recruiting staff. You got a quick chance for some meet and greets, you know, before this game. It, it is, you know, I want to make shake hands, say hello, make sure you, you show that eye contact, make sure that people are, realize it is appreciated that they put in the effort to be there with you to watch your team play football. 
but it goes fast and you got to focus on trying to win this football game. Um, and I think when you look at the, the uh, volume of people who are going to be on campus, that makes the commits and their presence even more important because they got to be in their own way, the hosts, they got to be the representatives of the program. They won't sign with this team until December, but enough of them have been committed for a very long time now. And a bunch of them are going to be on campus that I know are very comfortable and being in this kind of setup, uh, Alex Birchmeyer, Anthony Donka, um, you're going to have Javen Williams there. All three are offensive linemen. Those guys are going to be on this roster in three months, Tyler. So they are focused on right now and making sure that the guys who join them in January or show up to campus next May or next summer are going to be ready to roll. And they want to maximize their remaining spots. And I know the focus is going to be on 2024 and they want to get the ball rolling there. So I, I think it's going to be awesome to see them have an opportunity to go shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of these guys. And I don't want to say there's pressure on them, but on a night like this, the Penn State staff, you, know, you really are restricted in how much of an impact you can make face to face. And a lot of that's going to fall onto the current members of the recruiting class. And there's fortunately for Penn State going to be a bunch of them on campus, including the quarterback from Iowa. Yeah, Jackson Smolik, he's going to be making the trip. He confirmed that with us earlier today. And I got the chance to catch up with him real quick. That's not going to be an official, just – He's going to – right now his plan is to go through his senior season and he's going to use his official after that season's complete so he could spend more time on campus, do more things, just, you know. But this weekend he's going to be focused on getting up there with the other commits, you know, and trying to sell the vision that that got them to commit. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned pressure, you know. Like when it comes to this group of kids, and we've learned this as the cycle has gone on – it seems like they don't feel any pressure when it comes to, you know, dealing with 2024, 2025 kids and, you know, telling them, Hey, look, Penn state's a place you want to be. They all seem pretty natural with that. I, I know we always talk about Alex Birchmeyer. I mean, man, he, he's all over the place with kids. Whenever he's on campus, he he's getting out, he's, he's getting his message across and they're all really good at it. They're all really charis. It's a charismatic group. It really is. And that only helps Penn state, you know, because like you said, there's only so much the staff could do in a setting like this. And a lot of recruits understand that, you know, recruits always tell me, Oh, I'm really appreciative of, you know, just the staff even giving me a handshake, saying hello, because they understand what it's like on a game. They, they they know what's going on. They understand where the coaching staff's priorities are. So when you have that, you know, that quick, you know, little interaction, then you go and you build on that with the commits and the stands, you know, then just catching up with them, talking it up. It, it's really, it's a good mix. And yeah, just getting so many commits there this weekend, it, it's a pretty healthy group of commits who are going to be on campus. And they're all going to be working, man. I already know that. They're, they're going to be working on those 2024s for sure because they want to get Cooper Cousins, some friends in that class. Now, look, speaking of commits, that's what people want to know. Who's on commit watch? And, and I always hate applying that. And I never want to blow up a kid's spot if he is indeed maybe coming to campus with those intentions. But a couple names that have kind of surfaced of late that Penn State feeling good about. You've written about them on the board. Really no surprise based on some of the conversations we've had here on the podcast and some of the crystal ball movement with with with, uh, with the offensive lineman, Kevin Haywood. Um, he's a guy that, that came to camp, really impressed Phil Troutwine. He got to some other camps, got other Big Ten offers. But it keeps coming back to Penn State. Uh, this one is notable to me. And then Jalen Harvey, who's had a chance to see uh, a guy from his high school and Chop Robinson make an immediate impact as a transfer player with this Penn State football program. I know Jalen was excited to get to campus back in the summer. Can you talk about those two? Because when you're talking, if you're discussing, hey, where's Penn State maybe in a spot to, to get to that finish line or, or tar- start to get into that final stretch of a recruitment? Those two prospects in particular, as I sort through a long 2024 list that you have compiled, pop up to me. 
Yeah, so just starting with Haywood, you know, Jane Franklin was out to see him during the bye week. They got the chance to watch him play. They're high on him. Haywood's high on Penn State. You know, the fact of the matter is Penn State is Haywood's leader right now, and I think there's a pretty sizable gap between Penn State and the rest of the field. We have, we have that crystal ball in for a reason, right? I, all the intel has indicated that Penn State is trending, and I think they're going to continue to trend now. Mikey Pop this weekend. You know, you get in that atmosphere, anything could happen, you know, but – Again, we come back to there's no certainties in recruiting, but I think Haywood is going to be a guy who winds up part of that class at some point, maybe soon, maybe as soon as this weekend. And Harv is an interesting one because we don't have a crystal ball in for him, but I'm pretty close on him, and here's why. And, you know, you say it, you said it with Chop. That's actually a pretty big deal here because when Jalen Harvey could sit at home and watch a guy who played at his high school and plays a similar brand of football as a pass rusher, do it in Manny Diaz's scheme. He sees that, and he sees it, what is potentially his future as a fit on that defensive line. That is something that has continued to come up for him. And just, man, I mean, he loves Penn State. He loves the campus. He really enjoyed camping during the summer when he won MVP of the big man challenge that they had. I, I don't think he lost a single rep that day, if I remember correctly. I think that really popped him onto the stats radar. So there's a lot of mutual interest there. The one thing I will say with Jalen is I'm not sure anything is imminent. Yeah, you know, I, I still think he might want to see some places just based on what I've been hearing. But Penn State, pretty good spot. Pro leader, yeah, I, I think I would lean towards that. No crystal ball right now, but that could change soon depending on the intel. I don't want to rush anything there. But, yeah, Penn State has to like where it's at with him because Harvey's really liking what he's seeing. He's feeling the nitty lines right now heading into this weekend. Jalen Harvey and Kevin Haywood, both uh... – 24-7 sports, a composite four-stars at this stage of their recruitment process. Um, Harvey is a four-star edge rusher prospect, a top-10 prospect in the state of Maryland. Uh, Haywood, a top-20 offensive tackle prospect, the number-nine prospect here in Pennsylvania. And, and I want to get to that with you. In-state presence, always so important for these kind of games. Who stands out to you uh, among the confirmations? I know there are many of them, but give us some Pennsylvania high school standouts who are going to be in the building that we've got to take note of on Saturday. You know, Haywood's definitely one. Uh, Anthony Specka from, and Peter Gonzalez from Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. Those are two guys I know Penn State likes, especially Specka. I mean, they're, they're, his recruitment's hot, man. Between Penn State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, oh, there's a lot of competition for him. He's a really good player, and him getting on campus is big. You know, he had a visit during July, in late July, just right before Lash Bash. That went really well because Penn State wanted to get him on campus in kind of more of a personal, more of a personalized setting and, you know, more – intimate interaction with the staff and, and that worked out really well in Penn State's favor. There was a lot of positive buzz coming out of that visit and there's still a lot of positive buzz. So Penn State's going to keep to look building there. You know, we talked about him a little bit before Anthony Saka, 2025 legacy guy at St. Joseph prep. He's high on Penn State and he's really excited to get back in this environment. It's just, this is such a big weekend with the in-state kids. You know, you can, you have the chance to make up so much ground and really just put any sour taste that's left from the Michigan game way in the rearview mirror. Just get it out of there completely. And that, that's what the whiteout could do. So a lot of in-state, a lot of really intriguing in-state kids. Those are the ones standing out to me. There are a bunch more that we're going to be able to catch up with afterward, and we're going to have a lot of that online 24-7. But it's a loaded list, man. A lot of that is comprised of in-state kids who have a lot of interest in Penn State. I think it might take a 
couple wins, maybe back-to-back hit wins in the Big yeah. Ten to get that uh, taste completely out of people's <laughs> mouths at Michigan. But you're right. You never know with re- 17-year-olds, man. It might, it might wipe out a little bit quicker. <laughs> well, a, a, a year from now, when, when some of these guys really sit down and start to, to finalize the process, they're not going to really remember what happened to Penn State the week exactly. before that visit. They're going to remember that visit, what exactly. they experienced while they were on campus. And Emilio Agard, by the way, uh, I think he's a five-star composite, if I'm not mistaken, out of St. Joe's Prep in Philly. He'll be on campus, and uh, Penn State's got got a, a tough act to follow. He helped storm the field uh, down did. at Tennessee's yeah. win over Alabama last Saturday. So uh, an indication of the, the kind of uh, destination moment this is, even though it's not uh, not the typical opponent. We've always seen Michigan-Ohio State matchup in this setting. It doesn't really matter who it is. The whiteout is going to draw a big recruiting crowd, and Penn State's going to make sure of that yet again. I, I know you'll have coverage throughout the weekend we'll, 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 and throughout the week as this uh, list grows, so we'll continue to follow that over at lions247.com, Tyler. But we've got some other topics to hit on before we get you out of here, and, and that includes a uh, recent rankings update from 24-7 Sports. Uh, a top 24-7 is out uh, for the 2023 class, which is now at the midway point for the most part, coming down the second half stretch for a lot of these senior seasons, the, the last chance to make that major impression on the rankings council before some of these postseason All-American games. Um, take us through the Penn State players who made it, what stands out to you, and who were some of the movers and shakers there? So the two who jumped into the top 24-7, Carmelo Taylor and Conrad Hussey, and I feel like we keep coming back to this with Taylor about his rise just as a prospect overall, rankings aside. He's there as a receiver at this point. You know, his tra- his speed is elite, but, I mean, he's there as a receiver. He's gotten there. And his senior season, I mean, he's been going off on an almost weekly basis. I mean, he's having multi-touchdown games. He's housing kickoff returns. You know, his routes are clean. So – his placement in the top 24-7 isn't really much of a surprise to me. And then Conrad Hussey, you know, he I feel like sometimes people forget about the summer that he had, you know, down at the seven-on-sevens in, I believe it was Las Vegas. I forget what the event was called. But he goes down there, and he, he's arguably the best DB there for, for the entire weekend. And he gets all this new interest and offers as a result. And just – he did his thing, you know. I, I know when – when St. Thomas Klein has played St. Joseph's Prep early in the year, he didn't have his best game. It wasn't really necessarily up to his standard, but he's been balling out ever since. He's, he's been great in coverage and the box and run sport. He's been doing it all down in Florida. So those two jumping in the top 24-7, that's well-deserved. Javen Williams, another riser. I mean, he's up in the top 25 now. He's number 24 nationally. We're talking about a kid who's just been flat-out bulldozing competition this year as a senior. And – if it, the rankings were if, if this was the end of the cycle today and we handed out our five stars here at 24-7, being the number 24 prospect in the country, you'd be a five-star prospect. And I see it. I, I, I don't know if you remember early in his recruitment, you know, who he is now as opposed to who he was back then, completely different. He's completely changed that athletic, athletic profile. The upside was always there, but he transformed a lot of that, you know, the baby fat that he was still working through. That's all muscle now. He's strong as an ox, and you see it on his midseason tape. He's just running kids over. So his placement in the rankings, another guy, it's really well-deserved. So a lot of positives for Penn State in this recent update. I think they have to be pleased with, you know, the way that all of their recruits are progressing. I mean, King Max, another guy, I believe he made like a 22-spot jump from 98 to 76. He flies under the yeah. river. We haven't even talked about him in a while. I mean, he's almost a top 70 kid now. So You're not going to shortchange, you're not shortchange our guy Anthony Donka, are you? Oh, yeah, Donka's a four-star now. Got his four-star. See what I mean, man? Yeah. See what I mean? We we just keep rolling here. Donka's another one who's having – 
he's down in Virginia doing his thing, and no one talks about him. Clearly, including me now. So, well, he's nah, the third. Man. He's the yeah. He's the second ranked Penn State offensive line commit in the state of Virginia, where they've done very well. And yeah, you know, he's the he's the third guy in that conversation. You usually go Javen Williams and Alex Burstmeyer yeah. in some order, and then you're like, oh yes, and he's the third Donald guy. Oh yeah, Anthony Donkin is four star. <laughs> yeah, and he's at a newer school. I know Brian Doan alluded to that. This is not an established yeah. program that he's a part of. Um, so you know, he's kind of putting them on the map as a recruit. There's some schools that put recruits on the map. He's kind of doing he's the opposite the floor, here. Man. And yeah. as more eyes get on him and, and you kind of accrue more footage, you like what you see. And he could be the tackle that emerges out of this group when it's all said and done. So um, a really important piece of the puzzle who maybe didn't seem quite as important four or five months ago when you're sorting through this whole process. Oh, and I mean, man, they're doing a great job in Virginia this cycle. It's what I believe five of the top 10 prospects in the state. And Donka has put together a lot of quality senior season film. And that that's responsible for his rise. So Penn State's got to like what they have in its offensive line room right now in 2023. I know, I know there's still the possibility to add. You know, actually, one guy we've talked about, Zechariah Owens, he actually just recommitted to Clemson. So it just uh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Yep, just happened. Okay. So take him, take him off the board. But yeah, again, even though they're 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 still trying to add, but yep. they love the three they have in there, and Doc is a big part of that. Even though you know he doesn't necessarily get talked about as much. Yeah, I don't think they're done. I don't think they can afford to be done. Uh, but those are those are a strong three to work with. And I just just double check this. Uh, Carmelo uh, Taylor in his ascension up these rankings, he's now past Ajani Shakir, who for a long yeah. time has been a four star in twenty four seven sports. But the other one that that may surprise some people, uh, Carmelo Taylor, now the two hundred overall prospect in our evaluation at twenty four seven sports. Rodney Gallagher is 18 spots behind him. And of course, Rodney Gallagher, a longtime prize here in the state yeah. of Pennsylvania. I'm not trying to, to swap out one for the other or really, you know, compare them right now. But I think that says something about where Carmelo Taylor uh, has come in a very short period of time. A guy that burst onto the scene with his spring track season and has verified a lot of that with what he's done with the football in his hands this fall. Um, let's finish with this, Tyler. There's a lot going on in recruiting. What do you got coming our way here in, in the next five days that, that our fans and our listeners and our readers need to be paying attention to? Because there's so much happening with our coverage right now team-related, recruiting-related. I don't want your coverage to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, so, you know, today we uh, we had the uh, the weekly recruiting rankings comparison come out. And this was an interesting one because a lot of it is skewed by the fact that a lot of Minnesota's starters on defense are lower ranked just coming out of high school, but pretty, pretty, pretty good players. So that's a pretty interesting recruiting breakdown we have. You know, the visitors list is going to keep growing. That, that's something you're going to have to keep an eye on really – up until kickoff because there's always names coming in and off that list. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And just, you know, we're, we're going to, there's going to be pregame Intel that I'm going to have to share. So it just really, it's flowing, man. We're going to have, obviously I'm, I'm looking to get out on the road this week. I'm not really sure where yet, but I'm going to be out at some games. So hopefully to catch up with some targets, want to get out and see some commits soon. So that's going to be coming down the pipeline as well. Appreciate the hustle. Appreciate the coverage. Tyler Calvaruso does a great job for us on the recruiting beat at lines247.com. We always like getting him on here on the podcast. Talk to you real soon, Tyler. Thank you, man. It's always great being on with you. Big week. Big week. Absolutely. Big week. Uh, and if it isn't made clear by this episode, there's a lot happening right now in the Penn State football universe. A big thanks to Daniel and Tyler for joining me here on this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Follow our continued coverage, including our, our latest trip to the practice field on Wednesday afternoon. We'll have Mike Yersich, offensive coordinator for these Nittany Lions, on a call Thursday morning. 
bunch of player calls happening along the way as well. So follow us at lines247.com. Make sure you're subscribing here to the podcast. For now, stepping aside until our Thursday episode, we'll break down Minnesota in detail there, give you our final thoughts and predictions on the upcoming Saturday matchup. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.